And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of the Truth Radio Show, outoflimitsradio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Today's show is about the form of governance known as socialism. According to Webster's Dictionary, the definition of socialism is a system of society or group living where there is no private property, a system or condition of society in which the means of production are owned and controlled by the state. Now, socialism appears to be surging in popularity in the U.S., especially among young adults. According to a 2019 Gallup poll, over 50% of them think it's fantastic. Young people, even some old people, believe that the best way to obtain wealth is to take it away from rich people. I mean, it's just not true. And for some reason, many seem to have no idea about the horrors inflicted on the masses in countries like the Soviet Union, where socialism killed 20 million people. In China, it killed 60 million people. And worldwide, socialism has claimed the lives of over 100 million people. When socialism comes to your country, as it appears to be rapidly taking root in the U.S., some of the things that will happen to you include a lot less income, worse inequality, insecurity, hunger, despair, a loss of freedom, which most people probably wouldn't even realize because they spend too much time with their phones and stuff in their faces. So why are we doing the show about socialism? <laughs> because it is so evil. Not only that, it's an affront to human nature. It's also a spiritual cancer. It goes against every religious and metaphysical principle of do no harm to others. And the fact that this is taking people, it's catching on and people are thinking it's great. It's, it's alarming. It's horrible. I mean, socialism punishes the most productive people. It steals their wealth and it gives it to unproductive members of society who contribute nothing. I mean, if you want to be a sack of shit and not work, that's fine. But no one else is responsible for subsidizing your lifestyle. You know what a real good alternative to socialism is? Freedom. When you have the freedom to do as you wish and no one infringes upon you, you'd be amazed at how productive people are. You'd be amazed at what people will contribute to their society. Let us begin tonight's show. It's a pleasure to welcome to our show... Thomas DiLorenzo. He's a professor of, of economics at Loyola University, Maryland. He's also a member of senior faculty of the Mises Institute. He's author of a couple of books. One of them is called The Real Lincoln. I love that book. And he's, the book that we're going to focus on today is called The Problem of Socialism. You can learn more about Mr. DiLorenzo by going to lourockwell.com where he writes a regular column. I go to that site all the time. It's, it's awesome. Mr. DiLorenzo, welcome. Thank you for joining us. I'm pleased to be with you, and uh, one correction I'll make is I'm a retired professor at Loyola University, uh, okay. Maryland. I uh, just uh, retired uh, in July. Hey, well, uh, 
appreciate it. Thank you for the correction. I love your book, Problem Socialism. If you walk around with this book, especially around young people, it's like kryptonite to them. They just don't want to see it. So from your perspective, uh, what is the biggest problem you have with socialism or the biggest problem in general with socialism? Well, the young people, you know, the book was written primarily for the, the millennial generation and, and anybody, really. But, um, you know, the way the educational system is, is that the young people are taught some sort of utopian vision of socialism, not real socialism. They're taught hardly anything, especially the economics of it, because the economics of it is not exactly uh, easy. You know, there was a long debate for, for uh, 75 years you know, around the world over socialism. Uh, before the worldwide collapse of socialism, socialism in the late 80s and early 90s. And so there's a lot to it. Uh, but at the same time, there's some you know, basic economic principles that you can understand uh, that will explain to you why it could never work, why it never did work as a viable economic system. And so, uh, for example, I had a, a college student once, one of my students, who uh, I taught a class called uh, Capitalism and its Critics. And I used um, the uh, Communist Manifesto online version as one of the texts. And one of my students came up to me and said, you know, this is the fourth time I've been assigned the Communist Manifesto. This was a junior in college. And he said, but this is the first time that it hasn't been used in class as sort of a roadmap for the future. <laughs> I, you know, I treated Jeez. it as a historical document instead. And so, well, yeah, if you're taught uh, that socialism means free stuff for everyone, you know, why not? And you're, and you're 19 years old. Well, that sounds good. You know, that's, that's a good thing. And at the same time, uh, you have this sort of cartoonish version of commerce and economics that is taught. About, you know, everybody's a thief. Everybody's a criminal. There's a book uh, that I cited in some of my works that was published years ago called Crooks, Con Men, and Clowns, for example. And it was uh, some researchers uh, watched uh, American shows, American television shows that portrayed business people. And they came up with something like 90%, something like 90, 92% was either a crook, a con man, or a clown, or, or one co- or a combination of all three. <laughs> and so, uh, and that's, that's what a lot of the younger people get uh, instead of real education. So the purpose of this book is to try to write in plain English uh, the case against socialism and the case for economic freedom. I mean, from just the perspective, you wrote about uh, how socialism almost destroyed America. This is on page 17. You were talking about how the absence of property rights and land or any link between effort and reward was destroyed, destroyed the work ethic of the pilgrims. So I know people are like, oh, God, socialism is so wonderful. But it's like, how does it de-incentivize people from creating high-quality products? Yeah, the whole the whole history of socialized agriculture is, is uh, massive death and, and – uh, just horrible things that happen to human beings. And uh, it's an interesting story of the pilgrims, uh, you know, the, when they first came to America, uh, they basically practiced agricultural socialism because the deal they had with the, May- the Mayflower Company, for example, that, that expedition, was that uh, they would have sort of a commune and everyone would produce, you know, go out and work the fields and produce whatever crops they were going to produce. And, uh, and then every family would share an equal share after they paid the Mayflower Company, because they were basically indentured servants, they had to pay them back for transporting them to America. And then once that was paid, then each family uh, got the exact same share. And that's socialism, uh, basically. And they soon leave the, And what happened was they almost all starved to death. Uh, William Bradford, the leader of the Mayflower expedition, his wife committed suicide by jumping overboard off the Mayflower in, in the harbor. 
because there was so much death all around her. And they found out that they, they killed work incentives. If you tell people you're going to get paid the same whether you work uh, 60 hours a week or whether you work zero hours a week, well, there are enough people that are going to choose zero hours a week and get paid the same. And the result was uh, they produced very little, not even enough to sustain themselves. Uh, but uh, William Bradford himself and others uh, discovered the problem. They discovered the problem was incentives. It wasn't the people were inherently lazy or evil or corrupt, but the incentive system that they had set up was, was bad. It was basically socialism. And so what they did was they gave each family private property, and you had your own little farm. And they said, you know, you owe a debt to the Mayflower Company, you pay that off, and then you can keep everything you get after that. And, and soon after that, even all the women were out in the fields, and they brought the children with them because they understood that uh, the more you work, uh, the more you, the, the better, more likely that you're going to thrive and succeed and not have to worry about your, your children starving to death. And that was the beginning of, uh, of the American economy. See, I can't understand for the life of me why that is demonized. I mean, they keep on saying, oh, you know, capitalism is awful, it's pretty bad. And then you write in page 55, I guess you were talking about saying, uh, talking, quoting a gentleman Hayek, saying socialism inevitably led to the suppression of democratic institutions and the movement towards more dictatorial or totalitarian government. Can you please discuss about when socialism starts, when you start having in the country, how your civil liberties change, or what happens to the civil liberties of the people? Uh, yeah, well, that I, I explain some in my book, The Problem of Socialism, I, I explain a lot of the ideas of Friedrich Hayek in his famous book, The Road to Serfdom, which you know, one of the most famous books of the 20th century, first published in 1943. And there's a chapter in there about how socialism is inherently incompatible with uh, democracy. And uh, because, for example, uh, what happens to socialism is, it, it, you know, first step one, it ruins the economy. Okay, it ruins the economy. And so what, what people, what governments are apt to do is uh, not admit that they screwed up and they destroyed their own economy and they should be held responsible for it. So what they do is they'll double down with more controls, more regulations, more taxes, more socialism. That will make things even worse and so forth. And then eventually people will become so miserable that they'll demand a strong man to come in. It'll be appealing to them if somebody, some politician will make the case that enough of this democracy, we don't have time for democracy, it's too, too time-consuming. Uh, we need a strong man, and, and people will adopt it, will accept that. That's how Hitler came to power, you know, the Russian communists, and, and the whole history of dictatorship and autocracy uh, came, came through along, along those lines, uh, as far as that goes. And so uh, in the long run, uh, that's why socialism is inherently destructive of democracy. Okay. Based on where the U.S. is right now, what is your perspective on the current trajectory of the country? And I want to just, before I um, answer that, if you look at the recent election, it seemed like it was a very close election. You know, Some people did not want to, uh, I guess, pledge allegiance to a candidate that was very pro-socialism. And others, you know, were kind of different to it. So I'm wondering, uh, how, where is the U.S. headed right now? And do you see it, any hope for the future? Oh yeah, I don't see, I don't see any way out of it other than uh, uh, numerous acts of secession and the breakup of the United States. I can't, I can't see the average Trump voter wanting to be ruled by Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer. 
and uh, and we've all seen the uh, extraordinary vitriolic extreme hatred that the Democrats have, not only for President Trump, but for the 70 million or so people who voted for him. And they don't want to be a part of uh, a union of states with those people either. And so I think what, what will eventually happen is uh, is uh, a lot of nullification, you know, no matter who wins. And we already see that, uh, you know, we already see a lot of uh, so-called sanctuary cities and everything. They're, they're nullifying uh, Federal immigration laws, uh, federal marijuana law, marijuana laws have been nullified by by various states, and that's been going on for a while. And I think if Biden wins, uh, you'll see the more conservative states doing the same thing. They'll start just not obeying his uh, his dictates to uh, to knock down all the buildings in your city and rebuild them with no windows. That's sort of part of the Green New Deal scenario. Yeah. And so, uh, if people and people aren't going to put up with this, I think uh, what will happen is um, Sort of similar to what happened in the Soviet Union, uh, hopefully, anyway, peaceful secession. And uh, and so, you know, if you want to live under communism and rename California, call it um, Bidenistan or Obamistan or something like that, go ahead and just leave me out of it. And I think that's the attitude a lot of people will have, and, and I think that's what will happen maybe long after I'm dead, but I think that's uh, what has to happen. Mr. DiLorenzo, I encourage you, please, every day, please take vitamin C and zinc. Uh, Dr. Marcola says that to be healthy. I want you, please, you have to live a lot long. You have to live like another 100 years. We need people like you. Around. Well, thank you. That, that is my routine. I think oh, awesome. D3 and zinc just about every day. <laughs> yes, yeah, good. Because if you, if you go to the, another way, if you go to Mises.org, you check out their blog and you check out a lot of their insights and you see like articles that are written with a lot of great thought. One of the things I'm wondering about when it comes to socialism, is do the rules of socialism when they become implemented will they be applied differently in the u.s because maybe the u.s fundamentally speaking are, are of a different nature of people like at least in the united states at one point in time people had a republic or like it's in their blood to to rebel and it's in their blood to have freedom i'm wondering is with the laws of socialism when infringed upon the americans would that be different than other people in the world or is socialism something that's naturally resisted because human nature is not destined to be suppressed by one or two people and totalitarianism and tyranny? No, no, socialism is socialism. I think if if, if uh, the worst case scenario happens and the Democrats, who are really Bolsheviks, they, they've turned into totalitarian communists, the people who now run the Democrat Party, they wouldn't even accept Ted Kennedy into the Democrat Party nowadays. He'd be an out. I'm not even sure Obama could succeed in the in the Democrat Party of today, and so uh, if they get their way and they abolish the electoral college and they and they make states out of Washington D.C. and Puerto Rico, and they have a monopoly of power, well, that's what the Soviets had—a monopoly of power—and they will have no use for the, the, these these uh, uh, millennials who they who they look as useful idiots. You know, they get them to go out in the streets and riot and and and, and assault Trump voters and things like that. Well. They, they, they will have no use, no more use for people like that, and so they will shut them down. And they're, they're not, they won't have any, loose, any use for Black Lives Matter either, for that matter. You know, they're very useful to the people who want to control the government for the time being because they made, you know, they associated the riots with the fact that Trump was president. But uh, they don't want to. They don't want people like that running around when they're in charge, when they're in power. And so, uh, and so they will become more and more totalitarian if if we go down that route that's the whole history of socialism in any society where it's been uh, been uh, put in place and that's why you know one of the chapters of the road to serfdom that I 
quotes and, and make and discuss in my book, The Problem of Socialism, is called, called Why the Worst Get on Top Under Socialism. And uh, basically because the socialism can only work, what socialism is basically is the forceful imposition of government plans on society as substitutes for the individual plans for our own lives that we all make. And so you have to use massive force and coercion to do that, to achieve that. And in order to do that, you have to have the people who will be the enforcers, who are the most immoral and most unethical and who have the fewest qualms about brutalizing and abusing their fellow citizens. That's why some of the, the most horrific human beings who ever you know, lived on the planet were the, the socialist icons, Castro, Che Guevara, <clears throat> Lenin, Marx, Stalin, all these monsters. And it wasn't just an accident that the monsters were all, the monsters like this were all in charge of the socialist countries in the 20th century. That's the kind of person who evolves into power because of the nature of socialism. When you mentioned before about the um, left-wing party in the U.S., and I'm wondering, is there, are they getting that strong because there is a lack of counterbalance or the, the ideas of other political parties in the U.S. aren't being presented strong enough? And I wonder also at the same time if the, the freedom-minded individuals, one of the, the greatest asset and also the greatest... Um, uh, handicapped is the fact that with freedom, like you're not supposed to infringe upon anyone else, so you, you don't have to you don't have to sell it all the time. But I'm wondering, is um, is the way freedom is presented, is the way other particular party ideals presented, is that a reason why that socialism could be gaining a popularity and insurgence in the U.S.? Yeah, people, the system is rigged. It's almost impossible for a third party to have a success. <clears throat> a friend of mine in Virginia who uh, looked into running for Congress found that if he wasn't a Democrat or a Republican, he had to get 10,000 signatures. But if he was a Republican, he didn't need any signatures to run for Congress. And that was just one rule. He, wrote, he ended up writing a whole book about it. He's a professor at George Mason, an old friend of mine. And so that system is rigged. Unlike you know, in Europe, in a lot of the countries in Europe, you have many, many political parties as far as that goes. And it's also rigged that you know, if you look up, uh, if you were to Google you know, congressional incumbent re-election rates, online, you find that for the past 60 years or so in the House of Representatives, the average re-election rate is, is over 90% because they have the system so gerrymandered and rigged that once you're in, uh, it, it's almost impossible to be unseated. So you don't really have to to uh, pay much attention to what the people want, especially when you rake in big bucks from Wall Street and China or wherever to finance your your TV commercials and your your political career. That's who you're going to pay attention to. And uh, that's the system. And, and the, the big problem, though, is we Americans tend to look at this uh, horizontally, which by which I mean either Democrat or Republican. And, you know, our, our person is in or our person is not in. But the real problem is there's too much centralized power in Washington, D.C. And the alternative way of looking at all this in terms of freedom is the devolution of power away from Washington, D.C., you know, if you if you want to be active in politics, get active at the state and local level, because that's where all this is enforced. You just look at the COVID regulations. It was the local sheriff and the local police and the local mayors and city councils that locked down the economy. It wasn't it wasn't the president or the Congress. They're the one. They were the enforcers, with very few exceptions. You know, you read about a few sheriffs here and there who said we're not you know we're not going to enforce these idiotic rules with masks and everything like that. 
Um, and so, uh, so, but those those are few and far between, and uh, and that's uh, that's one of the big problems we face. We think too much in terms of Trump versus Biden, as opposed to Washington D.C. versus us. That's the real issue. Thanks for bringing that up. I just think it's more about freedom too, and. Because the dollar, because the U.S. has a unique position of having the world's reserve currency, and because it looks like, even though we're at $27 trillion in debt, because the U.S. can, can basically print money into oblivion, does that allow or allow a socialist-type system to manifest quicker, be sustained longer, as opposed to another country which only had a limited amount of resources tied into the amount of capital that they had. You think that because the U.S., as long as the U.S. has a world's uh, dollar reserve, world's world reserve currency, that that could unfortunately keep these socialistic-type policies fueled longer unnaturally as opposed to a, a, another nation without this uh, privilege? No, I'm so sure. As soon as we got off the gold standard and, and uh, became the money printers, um, that's how we became, you know, we're probably two-thirds socialists now. If you, if you look at uh, government spending at all levels, federal, state, and local, and, and add on to that um, all the government loans, not just student loans, but loans and loan guarantees, corporations and everything else, and add on to that thousands and thousands of regulations, which allow the government to have de facto control of business decisions, then we're at least two-thirds socialists now. And one of the reasons for that, of course, is the income tax and the Fed and the ability to print money. And that could never have happened without those two institutions. And, you know, when Ron Paul was running for president, he pointed out that if we just abolish the income tax altogether, and this was in 2008, he calculated that well, the government spending would be about the same as what it was. I think it was like 1990. <laughs> like that. So it's not as though the, the, the earth would implode if we just got rid of the in- income tax and replaced it with nothing. It would, it would force government to uh, to behave itself a little more. And, and we, we no longer have any levers that we can use to force government to behave itself and, uh, and to not be so abusive of us as it is. And so uh, that would be one way of doing it, wouldn't it? Yeah. And I, one thing I was really shocked about, too, when I was reading your book is that the Karl Marx progressive tax system. I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, wait, Karl Marx has already got a, a hold on... It's because if I, if I do better in business, I get taxed more. It's horrible. It's, it's actually such a de-incentive to do it. But, Tom, the last question we have for you is if there are parents out there that uh, they're in, happen to find themselves in government schools, what are some of the ways to tell at an early level that the schools are pushing Marxist, socialism-type ideals and on them? And what are some of the best ways to kind of counterbalance? Like, What do you say to your kids that they're – they're being pumped up to no, well, well, you know, every every parent ought to be a homeschooler in the sense that they at least talk to their kids about what went on in school, take a look at the curriculum, the books, the texts. Uh, you know, wasn't it revealing that when we had all this online schooling through Zoom, Zoom classes all over the country because of the virus, uh, a lot of parents sat in and found out there's a heck of a lot of socialist indoctrination going on, even in elementary school, let alone the universities are a lost cause. Uh, and so uh, it reminds me of an old friend of mine who had two daughters, and she did this every day. She would keep up exactly, you know, with whatever the kids were learning. And it was okay if they wanted to teach them, uh, you know, read them socialist uh, books. She said, that's fine. But, but she told her daughters, you're also going to read this book. 
and she would give him maybe one of my books, even, uh, and she did. And uh, and so her daughters, I knew her the whole time from when her daughters were three or four years old until they were in college. And uh, I ran into one of the daughters uh, when she was uh, a sophomore in college, and uh, and she came up to me. I hadn't seen her in years, and she said, uh, you, know, you changed my whole life. You know, I'm, I'm going to school, and I'm studying to be a businesswoman because I read your book on capitalism. And so you never know what effect you're going to have on people like that. But uh, but if it, it was if it wasn't for my friend uh, being a good mother and keeping on top of what her kids were learning, this would never have happened. This young lady would have never been so happy with what you know the course that she was pursuing with her education. And that's hard work, of course. But you know, being a parent is hard work, and uh, and that's the only way. There's no easy way out. So Thomas DiLorenzo, I want to thank you so much for being with us today, and I wanted to say that you've had a very positive impact on my development. I mean, you shattered the illusion of Lincoln. I read your books. I couldn't put them down about Lincoln. And that was awesome. It was a major, major wake-up call. But then I loved your book, The Problem of Socialism. You can learn more about Mr. DiLorenzo by going to lourockwell.com. Check out his columns there. You can also go to the Mises Institute, M-I-S-E-S dot org. You have some great articles there. Mr. DiLorenzo, thank you so much and keep up the great work, sir. Thank you for having me, and have a great day. Take care. Thank you. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our awesome guest, Mr. Tom DiLorenzo, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Constance Stellas, and our associate producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care, and thank you so much for listening.